Welcome to Craft Conversations, where I craft a conversation. I talk a little bit about craft beer. I am your host, Brian Dales. And on this episode, we bring Fleming Moore back into the studio. Actually, we're not in my studio. We're in Studio 117, and uh, we're doing the first of a series of Q&A sessions with Fleming. Uh, he's running for mayor of Somerville. And um, if you watch the YouTube video, you'll see that we went a little bit off script, or he went. I didn't go anywhere. I sat in my chair like I was supposed to, but uh, we go a little bit off script, but uh, you get a good insight into who Fleming Moore is, where he comes from, where he's been, where he's going, or where he wants to go. And I think it was a good episode. We're going to do another one August 28th in Studio 117 as well, so stay tuned for that. But right now... Get to know Fleming Moore and listen to some of the questions that uh, some constituents from around town asked. And let's find out if he is mayor quality. Enjoy this episode, guys. So we're kind of doing this on the fly. But anyway, I'll let you take this. Your, your podcast. All right. Well, I mean, it's your, uh, it's your thing over here. It's my podcast, but it's your thing. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. So welcome to Craft Conversations, guys, and welcome to Studio 117 here at Homegrown Brewhouse, uh, where we're going to do a, a monthly session up until Election Day, right? So this is the first session. We're going to do a Q&A session with the mayor, potential mayor. Uh, right now we have Fleming Moore, Mr. Fleming Moore here. Hopefully we're going to get more candidates in here um, to do the same thing and hear what they have to say as well, right? So... Um, I'm Brian Dales. I'm your host, and I think we're going to start with the slideshow. Yes, we will. And um, my daughter over there, Sarah, is going to help me out with this. So All right. Thank you, Sarah. I'm going to stand up, stand up a little bit and talk. Okay. Or maybe I won't have to stand up. Yeah, if you can see it. Yeah. Okay, so it's Fleming Moore, a.k.a. Shady. And y'all can ask questions anytime and interject during this presentation. This is very informal. Right. And uh, a mayor of the people for the people. And I'm going to explain that here as we go through. Um, Sarah, would you hit the next slide, please? Yes, sir. All right. This is going to be redundant for some of you longtime residents. But I think it's important for us to know where we are. And um, in order to know where we are, it's important to know where we came from. And uh, I say that because a lot of the, what's happening in town is ingrained in, into our history. Somerville has a rich history. It was founded by affluent people from Charleston who had enough money to escape from malaria in the summertime. So they set up a village in Somerville back in the 1830s and uh, around the campus of St. Paul's. If you notice that top picture on the right-hand side is a picture of St. Paul's from long ago. The St. Paul's is, that campus is the original town square of the village of Somerville. If you notice, uh, there's a, the old town hall building is actually on Carolina Avenue, and it was founded by a uh, uh, Bishop Gadsden, and uh, he, he was the first rector of St. Paul's, and uh, as it turns out, a lot of the people who served in government 
throughout the years in St. Paul's, served on the vestry of St. Paul's. And why is that important? I served on the vestry of St. Paul's, so maybe the vestry is a launch pad for, for, for a political career. Not that I want a political career. Um, that picture is uh, one of the grand old uh, inns in Somerville. That people from all over the country would come and vacation in Somerville. So Somerville, in a sense, and I'm going on folklore from my grandfather, so you have to excuse me on, on this, but its population would swell and then go down um, as, with, with the season. And in fact, I think Somerville was kind of based on a snake oil because they said if you came, the pine trees were good for respiration. They somehow had a study done where these people proclaimed that the scent of the pine needles was good for your respiratory ailments and a lot of people came to Somerville with the belief that if they breathed the pine needles that they would uh, have a healthier life. So Somerville has a history of trying to attract people here as a destination. Alright, so could you go to the next slide? How did I end up here? What you'll see there is, I'm going to stand up for this. This is uh, the fork in the roads at 165 and 78. That's where my mother grew up. She moved here during the Depression. She was uh, impoverished. Uh, my grandfather worked at George Singleton's uh, nursery on 78. And... Um, I want to talk about that because a lot he did a, he worked during his depression with WPA grant and helped plant a lot of those aids you see in Azalea Park. Why do I want to mention that is because Frank Cuthbert, I think was the mayor at the time, had the vision to know that Azaleas weren't if we planted a park there that we'd have people come see the flowers, and he invested a lot of his own money and so did Mr. Singer. Singleton and donated the flowers so that we have a Zayda Park, which showed a vision because I didn't live during the Depression. It might look like I did, but I didn't. <laughs> and um, knowing the stories of that, that there wasn't a lot of money. So plant over 3,000 plants in, in, in Zayda Park showed uh, a vision and the kind of vision we, we need in America. This is my mother, Sue Blanton Moore. Uh, she grew up in the, above that service station and spent her whole life trying to move to the other side of the tracks. Now, a lot of this is not as important as it used to be, but it still prevails. There's a railroad track running through the middle of Somerville that divides people in the classes. And it, I, I, don't, I wasn't there when they designed the town, but if you look at look at it, they, they put a, once the railroad came through, what happened was the center of gravity shifted from around the village of St. Paul's up to the square because the railroad came through there. And then we had businesses come, and it was good, and development happened. And But my mother lived just on the wrong side of tracks. She was in Pigeon Bay, 
But the good news was, it's her first day of school, when she moved here from Orangeburg, she was shy, and there was not a seat for her to sit in, and a woman named Mary Boyle, who ended up being Mary Boyle Limehouse, said, you can sit with me. And so she shared her desk, and my poor little shy mother spent her whole third grade right next to Mary, and Mary ended up being my godmother. So, And ended up, um, my mother fell in love with St. Paul's Anglican Church, and that's how I ended up at St. Paul's. And uh, But my mother, and my grandfather especially, felt the difference between the class classes. In fact, I mean, it was painfully obvious when you compare where my mother grew up to where her friends at. And so what my mother did is, unfortunately, she tried to force me to be friends with people of better means and upper means, which is it's not fair to the child. I guess she just wanted better for the children. So that, these are some of the issues that still are prevalent that are hard to outgrow. And I'm not blaming anybody it's just that we, when we grow up, believe in certain things, it's very hard to um, see. It's like we have scales on our eyes sometimes. Unless you, you know homelessness, you will not... Um, unless you, you experience... A lot of us, unless we experience something, it opens our eyes when we do this. I guess my point. That's my, again, my mother with my other godmother, Gene Lot store. If you know where um, Mr. Knight's house is now, out on uh, 17A, um, that's where Gene grew up, and I spent a lot of time in that house when I was a child as well. Um, next slide, please. Okay, that's me when I was a little girl. When I was a little girl. <laughs> That was me when I was my friend, 10 years old, all right? And here is me at Coastal Coffee some four years later. And uh, so I, I was born here. I was born across from McDonald's and uh, about a half mile from there, so I've come a long way, right? So, all right. And um, I've been involved for the last five years in town with a, a nonprofit called Bumberville Amphitheater, which has come with some resistance. I understand that because of the name, and I'll explain why it's Bumberville Amphitheater. Now, I have some musician friends in here, I won't name them, but y'all know why we call it Bumberville Amphitheater. If you're a musician trying to earn money, in Somerville, it's a shame. I'll give you an example. I played at Ghost Monkey Brewery in, in Mount Pleasant. It was paid $300. $300. In Somerville, I would have been paid $100 if I was lucky. Now, I'll say something about Homegrown Brew House. When I first came to Homegrown Brew House, said he couldn't get money music, couldn't afford any music, they needed a license, and I said I understood, I didn't come back, and then Scotty Oliver started playing here and, and opened for free and was doing original music, 
And so I came to uh, Caleb and asked him, I said, could Home Grown Brewhouse, uh, would they be interested in letting Bumper 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 be a guitar songwriter series? And uh, what we did is we took the fund from Bumperville Amphitheater because I'm a small business owner myself and I understand cash flow and, and how hard it is to want to invest in something. So I said, we'll walk beside you for six months and I'll pay the guys $50 to come up here and play original music. And after six months, I said, I can't afford to do it anymore. So Caleb started paying it. That's what we wanted to do. And to Caleb's credit and Homegrown Brewhouse's credit, as they've seen the revenue increase from the music, they're paying the musicians more. I can't say that about every establishment in this in this town. Um, when I started there, I was working for fifty dollars to host a, an open mic, and I'm sure Brad Mallet would be the. I know Jackie would say that I was instrumental in building their music community to homegrown, I mean, over at Coastal Coffee Ruptures. I asked for a $25 raise. He said no. I said, well, it's time for me to move on. As it turns out, not only do they have a Coastal Coffee Roasters here, they got an Oak Grove Brewery here, and the warehouse in between. So we have two venues that are only paying musicians 50 bucks a piece. It's not fair. And so when people talk about community, and the, the coupling community with making a profit on the backs of musicians, or it's, it's, don't buy into that, folks. Community, where community is happening is at the Somerville Resource Center. I was there Monday afternoon at a food bank watching the people come in for food. So if you want to deal with community, if you want to... If you want Chamber of Commerce community, you don't want to vote for me, because I'm not that guy. I'm not your Chamber of Commerce candidate. Um, I'm just an authentic guy who um, sees a need here in town. You can go to the next slide, please. Now this is going to be a sore subject for some people, and it's, uh, but we need to see where we are. Or we move forward. We had a referendum. I was the vote yes category, and Diane, my friend, was a vote no. Now, and my friend Peter over here was a vote yes, and Miss Gorman was a vote yes. And I did not vote for Mayor Johnson. I voted for Bill Collins. I didn't vote for Bill Collins the first time. I voted for Dickie Miles. But I, I, I voted for uh, Mr. Collins because I wanted that hotel. And I, I didn't do any research into it. I just said, man, this would be good, good for town. We need something in town. And Mr. Johnson, Mayor Johnson won. And as soon as he won, the ordinances, I would say, were calib I'm gonna call it calibrated, tweaked. And it was unfortunate timing um, when somebody wins election, I think it's, it was still advised the council to ch change the ordinances, calibrate them however slightly it is. We could we debate that forever, but it, it was once it was pointed out to me that that had been done, I said that's not fair. I don't you know this is not good. It's not good precedent to set, 
that we change the ordinances because we don't like who gets elected. And I'll explain my yes vote in a more logical way. Okay? The mayor has to run in every district within the city. The bar for being elected to mayor is higher than it is to be a council person. Okay? So in order, so I thought, I wasn't looking at it so much from who was holding office at the time, but as the office of mayor in general, regardless of who was the mayor. Now, to be honest with you, had that referendum passed, I would not be running for mayor because I do not have the administrative skills, the executive skills that would be needed for a strong mayor position. That's why I'm running, because the no votes won. And um, that's the way it is. So what we do is, you don't complain, we adapt to, to what's going on. So I, I'm running for mayor because I, I think I could be effective in that form of government, even though I didn't vote for it. All right, and uh, was that a referendum on the mayor's position? It, as far as it's the form of government, it's, you have like, I don't like to call it strong mayor, weak mayor, it's like council form, mayor form would be the way to describe it. Now, what had happened, to be honest with you, I got in a little trouble during this thing, because some, and this time when I run this campaign, I'm not going to do like I did before, because I'm the one one at the top. Um, but some big money was spent on advertisement like this from a digital place, and, and this is where y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but that's okay. Um, see, symbols are very, very strong and important, and they resonate. Sometimes we don't, um, don't really realize that our, our subconsciousness are picking up on things, and sometimes it's call them dog whistles. I would call that almost a dog whistle. All right. And we go to the next slide. And if y'all like to talk to me about why I think that's a dog whistle later on. We decided we wanted council former government. So what does that mean? The mayor has no more power than any other council member. Okay? So when your mayor, when the candidate tells you I'm going to work with the other counties. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix the roads. The truth is, they can't do that. So I'm going to ask y'all, I mean, I'm not going to criticize anybody, but that's the truth of the matter is, if a candidate tells you they're going to fix your roads, they're not being intellectually honest with you. I will tell you right now, I cannot fix your roads. What I would suggest you do accept the fact that you're going to be in traffic for years. This is not going to happen overnight. Um, the other thing, the mayor, as I said before, represents all citizens in every district. And that's where he can have a little bit more influence, I wouldn't call it power, if he can, can, build, can build a consensus among all citizens to be effective. But what do I mean by all citizens? I mean, citizens that don't have the same skin color we have, don't worship the same God we worship, they don't identify themselves as we identify ourselves. There's a lot of people in this town that are gay. They deserve to be represented. There's people 
that uh, are below the poverty line, that feel powerless, that they don't have a voice in government, that nobody really really stands for them. I experienced that last night. We talked about that a little bit more. But this is the part that I think I would excel at. The large part of the mayor's role is ceremonial. You all know Shady knows how to put on a show. And that's, And what we want to do is we want to project the best face for other communities. And that face is going to be your mayor. Now you ask why you need to shave, you need a haircut. I'm not going to shave or cut my hair until after August 19th because I got picked for a role in Savannah as a quarry workman in a film called The Underground Railroad. So I'm, I'm, this look is making me money right now. <laughs> All right, so y'all, so that's kind of where we are with the government. So when you're when you're shopping for your mayor, your next mayor, because I know not all of y'all are going to vote for me, but I, I want to I appreciate y'all coming in and keeping an open mind. Um, the large part of ceremonial. So I think if we 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 market ourselves, and, and I think this is where we're headed. We're at an identity crisis. Can you get the next slide? Always. Okay, you can cut it off now. It's fine. All right, we're done with the slideshow. So here's, here's where we are. What is our identity? Well, in 1978, I could have told you that. We were a bedroom community with good schools and the best high school football team. Like Somerville was known for football, 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 and the arts suffered in the shadow, the long shadow of John McKissick. Just the way it was. It was good. It was good for business. It was good. Good for the JCs. It, it, it brought people. When people decided they're going to move to Charleston, they said, "Well, Dorchester Two's got the best schools." All right. Now. We are not a powerhouse in football. I think where we're headed, and you might help us with it, and I think we're, Chambers at Dennett wants us to become an art, music, and food destination. I, I think that we're headed. And that's a good idea. If we shoot high, okay? I'm not talking about mediocrity here. In fact, uh, what, that's what we don't want, okay? We're not the only town in South Carolina with starting a public arts center or a music scene or anything like that, we're not. So we, we, what we need to do is attract, I'm not gonna say better talent, Let's just call it bigger talent, more well-renowned talent. That's what I do in this listening room. Y'all were, were coming on my one of the shows we have here is we have somebody like Robert Lighthouse, who's internationally known. He comes in, he plays. I have people from Greenwood, well, I have Tallahassee, Florida, and Florence, South Carolina. Came to see Robert, traveled that far to see him, and they spent the night in hotels in Somerville. You think they would come from Tallahassee to see Fleming Moore play guitar? No. They would. And that's all right. But what it does is it opens up an opportunity for our local musicians to play. 
And I, I think I've, I'm rubbing them the wrong way because I'm, I'm trying to tell them, I'm saying, you know, everybody wants to play music. It's getting ridiculous. I mean, I, I was met with resistance behind Darren's, and Darren's Pharmacy, maybe because of the name Bummerville Amphitheater, uh, or they just didn't want it. But now it's caught on, everybody's on the bandwagon. What I'm saying, we need to be strategic about these things. When we put music out, we don't need it in front of every storefront on Third Thursday. If you notice, I, I didn't do it last Third Thursday because it's just, it's, it's becoming too much. I mean, you can't really distinguish one, one, one person playing from the next. And I would encourage, possible public art center to to try to recruit somebody with well renowned so that people would try to see their work. Um, and that's a hard challenge. I know it's hard to get to curate a music scene, but unfortunately I, I don't know what, what I'm gonna do in the future with that. It's, it's up in the air right now. I um to be frankly frank I'm a little concerned that Public Works has been involving themselves in music, and I was hoping they would stick with visual arts, but uh, we'll see. I don't know if that's in the book. Maybe the music curation to the musicians. Yeah. Um, they've been working hard. All right. Um, so. Hey, Fleming. Yes. I'm going to suggest you come sit down. This is not very conducive to a podcast. You're supposed to be in front of the microphone. You're a musician. You know all this stuff. Well, I was hanging it up there. You went off script. You're standing up in front of the, the crowd over here with no microphone. What's going on? Um, uh, I had to reposition my camera. I'm sorry. You messed everything. <laughs> well, like I said, this is unscripted. And I think what people are looking for is authenticity in their candidates. And for sure, I want to be authentic. And I don't... I am. I'm not going to change my appearance. I will take my hat off if I'm in church or council chambers, but that's about it. Um, so do we have any questions? Yes. Okay. So you may be aware that the town of Somerville is involved in a conflict with the black community concerning the tennis courts at Cody Park. Um, the town is not granting access to the black community and a black instructor to instruct children. Um, I wonder whether if you were elected mayor, you would intervene in that situation and open that up. Well, I'm all for reconciliation. In fact, I, I want to reconcile the differences between... So the way I would do that, I don't know the man's name involved, but it sounds to me like... Is a tennis instructor up against the town of Somerville and it'd be the person in charge of parks and recreation? Is that correct? That's part of it. All right, so what we need to do is the first thing you do is you got to sit down and talk. It's already been mediated. It's been mediated. Did they listen to one another? The town of Somerville was told before a lawsuit was filed against them they needed to reconcile with Mr. James Martin. Well, then uh, I think Mr. Martin has no other, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, I don't really know the particulars about that, but it sounds to me like the town is in for another lawsuit. Personally, um, I don't know the particulars about that. I think I might have read something where uh, some, 
somebody using the wrong language, foul language. So, but it kind of kind of goes back to what you were talking about being both sides of the track, right? Right. I mean, as mayor, you would want to bring both of those sides together. I think that would probably be the, the fair question, right? Is, right. Would you allow that to happen? Absolutely. On your watch. In fact, I think I would try one more time to mediate. Um, to be honest with you, I think reconciliation. I was told the other day that not everything can be reconciled. Um, and that, that may be true, but I, I'm going to... That's very unfortunate because um, Doty Park used to be um, a, a hub for the community surrounding, which is predominantly a black community. And now they took what used to be some, some ball fields and a park and turned it into tennis courts. And now that the children in the community do want to play, you can go there right now and all of them have reserved signs. Nobody can play except the instructor. It's being ran like a country club. Well, I'm going to look further into that, and maybe that would be a good good thing for me to get behind as far as uh, raising awareness to that issue because I I don't think it's fair that that those children would have to come all the way to Laurel Street to play That's tennis. Right. That just doesn't make sense. That's, That's uh, uh, it's, uh Yes, sir. Can I, can I add, um, the status of it right now is the... The town administrator brought a referendum before the town council to condemn James Martin, the black tennis instructor, for a confrontation that occurred between him and the town tennis pro. And that confrontation happened when the town pro turned the lights off on James Martin at night while he was in the middle of the tennis instructor's with his kids. And so naturally he got a little upset about it, had some words with the town administrator. So that's the basis that the town used an excuse to pass this more, this referendum, saying condemning James Martin, saying he should, he'll, he's permanently banned from Doty Park forever. Nonetheless, uh, if you go over there and want to play tennis, all the all of the courts have a reserve sign and nobody's playing. So nobody. black kids can't play. Nobody. So that's not fair. Nobody's playing. I hear you, and I I, I will look into the. I'll research this a little bit more. I, I hate to, you know, I, on one hand, I understand, what's the gentleman's name, Mr. Jack? James, James, James Martin. Mr. Martin was probably passionate and lost his temper and said some things he regrets. I've done the same thing. Um, I know Mr. Martin personally. He's a man of faith. He um, doesn't use foul language. Okay. He doesn't. All right, well. Are there any other questions? <laughs> Y'all have any concerns about development? Uh, yeah, how we can we slow it down till we catch the roads up with it? We're not going to do that, but we can slow down. We're not do the roads, but I have some ideas about development that I would think. Um, one of them is, it's kind of like a no-brainer, I hope. Development should pay for itself. I would, In other words, we shouldn't be taking hospitality and accommodation taxes to buy fire trucks for next that's in, right. no. okay? Even though that's perfectly legal within the statute of the hospitality and accommodation taxes, you can do that. But I would rather- well, Who pays for that? For the fire trucks and everything else? Well, you are every time you drink a beer. Okay. Yeah, every time you drink a beer or have- Well, I mean, who would you propose does? You said the hospitality tax and everything else Well, I would say the developers you know, one thing, to, 
corporations like is having their logo. I can't give them to give you any money unless you put their logo on something. I don't mind having uh, West Rock put a logo on a, on a fire truck if they're going to spend $1.2 million on fire trucks. Great have one of these developers put their name on a park. Right. So we don't have to pay for them. That kind of thing, just some outside thinking. Um, yes, Tommy. It's not a question, so all that's wonderful and everything, but who's going to oversight this corporation to make sure that they're not taking advantage of us? Well, that would be up to the council and the mayor and, and the county government. Right. But how do we know that they're not going to interfere uh, with their money and buy our elections? Well, what you do is you you elect a guy like Fleming Moore that's taking zero money from anybody. I've had Miss Frankenberger offering me money. I've had Mr. Gorman offer me money, and so and I refused. I've offered you no money. Let's just yeah. understand. No, and I appreciate. I told Peter I appreciated him being willing to to do a fundraiser for me. And by no means I am not going to shy away. If Peter Gorman decides to support me for mayor, I will welcome his support. If Diane Frankenberger asks, decides she wants to support me instead of Mr. Hearn, I will take her support as well. But it's not financial support. What I need is people on the street knocking on doors when the time comes. I think we have a good shot at winning this election. Um, and I'm not going to criticize or disparage the other candidates, um, Mr. Hearn, first of all, Ricky Waring, I've known since I could remember. And um, Ricky has always had a heart for being a first responder. My brother was stung by yellow jackets in that same ditch behind Laurel Street that I keep talking about. And Ricky came to his rescue and saved my brother. So that, that's, he, he's, he's a good fireman. We'll say that about Ricky. Now, Mr. Hearn, I met for the first time at uh, a fundraiser in town, and then I saw him again the very next day on King Street when I was playing a gig at Gorn's Hat Shop. I started thinking, man, this guy's guy is starting to stalk me, but no, he wasn't. It as it turns out, he has a daughter that goes to the College of Charleston, much the same age as my daughter, so I, I don't want to... Um, I won't disparage anybody like that because they have wives, and, and that's one of the things I felt so bad about. Whether you agree with Mr. Johnson or not, some of the things, you know, the spouses take those things to heart, you know, and, and we can't, when we criticize people, we're, we're criticizing their whole families, and that's, that's, you know, I want to protect my daughter, and I'm sure Mr. Hearn wants to protect his daughter, but what I will say, is if I point out, getting back to your question, about conflicts of interest, don't think I'm criticizing, I'm just pointing out conflicts of interest. And, and what I wanted to talk about why I want to be mayor, and it's not so much want, it's why I'm willing to serve to be mayor, is I think we have enough attorneys, not that I, <coughs> I like attorneys when I need one, believe me, but when you fill your whole roster with attorneys, and I'm talking about the council, then you get a limited view of the world. All right? We have two capable attorneys. 
You might not agree with them, but they're good. Walter Bailey, Walter Bailey and Bill McIntosh are all the lawyers we need on, on council. And uh, we especially, I don't think, need an, a, a candidate who's uh, a real estate attorney. If, if you're looking, looking to slow down development, I mean, that, that, that on its, I'm not saying it's, there's any impropriety going on, but we need, if we're going to establish trust in our government, we need there not to be any, any kind of conflict of interest, whether, you know, perceived or not. And uh, Can you give us more background of, of your experience? What you got going on? Well, you're not I'm, a lawyer. Well, you know, anything? well, let me get back to this conflict of interest, you okay. know, because it's important. When I served on Vestry of St. Paul's, I was hired on as, on its, as staff, and it became abundantly clear to me that, hey, I'm voting on issues that affect me as an employee. So I had to decide whether I wanted to stay on Vestry. This was my own decision whether I stay on Vestry or I stay on staff. Well, you get paid zero to be on Vestry. You get paid a little bit to be a sexting at the church. And I had a daughter in college, so I, I, I went for the job and resigned as Vestry. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah, so that, that was the deal on that. So, so, and that's just to where I'm coming from. If I were a real estate attorney, taking contributions from developers in Miami, I would, that would be, now I'm, that's not criticizing him, I'm just pointing out a fact. And if I'm gonna run, I'm gonna have to point out these facts about what my opponents are doing. I mean, I'm not taking money from developers in Miami. Mr. Hearn is. Now he can speak to that to y'all, and you ask him about that. Um, so to answer your question, the way you do it is you get people on council that don't have ties with developments that are doing it out of service, not for money. Believe me, at $15,000 a year, you've got to ask yourself, why are these candidates raising tens of thousands of dollars, taking contributions from developers in Miami for a $15,000 a year job? That's a, I mean, that's a legitimate question. Now, me, on the other hand, if I end up being mayor, I'm only going to be able to work 15 hours a week at $15,000 a year because I'm going to have to make ends meet. So I can't do all that much damage, especially, you know, with the way it's set up. But actually, I think I could do a lot of good because if you notice this room, I have young people. I have older people. I'm disappointed none of my, none of my friends of color are here today. But that'll change, and so I will um, hope to get a broad spectrum from every, every vein of life, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I want your vote. Don't hold it against me that I'm a Democrat, please, okay? But I am, and, uh, but that's just the way it is. And what I, what I offer, back to your question, is a life experience that no one else has. I, I've, uh, you're gonna find out a lot of things about me, things that I'm not proud of, especially 
if this thing gets close at the end, I'm sure there's going to be an October surprise. Uh, already seen, used to be a time, see, I'm just going to be honest with y'all right now. From the time I was 17 till I was 47, I lived a troubled life. I was involved in alcoholism for years and years and years. Um, the last 10 years, I, I turned my life around. Um, and it was a long time. Used to be when you Googled Flynn and Moore, the first thing that would pop up would be public record search. We got, we got, and that went away until recently when I Googled my name. That's popped up near the top of the Google. So that means that people with tens of thousands of dollars can hire off research on me, and, and they don't really need to do that. All you got to do is go into Somerville Journal scene in the police blotter and you'll find out all the ridiculous things I've done. I was just trying to find out where you played. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, so that, I was surprised to see that the other day, but I don't think that's by accident that that's shown up. So. Well, it's not where you've been, it's where you're going, Fleming. That's right. Right, well, so that's my point. To, so we know where we've been, we know where we are, the no's won the referendum. Where do we want to go and how we're going to get there are the two questions we need to answer. Where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? Well, where I'd like to see us go is to be a destination. Not a second thought of Charleston, but an actual destination for art. And that's why I hope everybody will do their most to support public works help them as much as you can um, so that they can attract the type of artists we need to be in that space so that they can attract people from from 50 miles away or further so I would um, I'm hoping for that I'm hoping for music and food and the way we do that is we curate an art scene and we curate a music scene and and the way you curate a music scene, I don't know anything about artists, but I imagine it's the same way, is you, you establish a venue that musicians want to play in. Good musicians. Robert Lighthouse, every time he comes through the South, wants to play here. Why? Because he has a captive listening audience and he gets paid more than he would if he played anywhere else in town. Because we... So that's how you curate a music scene. Food, I think uh, restaurants and chefs, it looks like Nexton's gonna get most of that action coming up. But one of the pipe dreams I really have of where I'd like to see us go in, in eight years is to establish a performing arts center somewhere in town, maybe, maybe on the uh, Dominion Energy place. Maybe they'd be, like to uh, support that, seeing how my electric bills going right back up to where it used to be. I was supposed to get $1,000 I never got, so maybe we can get them to, to help us with that. But I would like to call it the, the Gus Moody Performing Arts Center. And if any of y'all lived in Somerville long enough or you know who Gus Moody was, he was an exemplary citizen who lived a good moral life. And uh, he mentored generations and generations of children from every socioeconomic class, it didn't matter, matter if you lived 
at the country club or you lived in Germantown. He treated you the same. So he didn't look at anybody. So that's one thing I, I don't want to do is cause a socioeconomic us against them kind of thing because I've seen some of the most poor people be very, very generous. And I've seen some of the wealthiest people be very, very generous. So it has nothing to do with how much money you make or you don't make. It's whether or not money or love rules your heart. And that's an individual question that I, I can't, that I struggle with on a daily basis. Sometimes uh, I make decisions based in, on fear of economic insecurity. And other times I make decisions based out of love where my heart is generous. So that, that's something we can all work on. Um, I don't know if I answered any questions. I think you answered a lot of questions. All right. But do we have any more questions? Because that's what we're here for, a Q&A session. What do you guys got? Anything? Uh, the, the town collects accommodation taxes and hospitality taxes. Uh, to the tune of some $4 million. Can you talk a little bit more about where that money goes and how you'd like to redistribute it? Yes. Um, in fact, I had some numbers, and they, they kind of morphed on, on me. Um, I was, one thing I, I will say, and I, I'm not going to, I don't know if this is coincidence or not, or it might have been in the works, but since I started toying with being mayor, I was talking about hospitality and accommodation taxes and how we needed to, to fund our nonprofits. And I was glad to see that every nonprofit that put in for some money this year got every every penny that they asked for, which is you got to give council credit for that or, or for doing that. Um, right now, we're buying um, sidewalks. We put in, I think, a quarter million dollars worth of sidewalks, which is a good thing. We spent two hundred thousand dollars on these masked arms out here which I'm dubious about that. And as I stated before, I'm dubious about the $1.2 million for fire trucks. Um, one of the thoughts I had would be in order to attract artists here, and I want to say this carefully because I don't want to criticize, and I think it's a good first step, the murals that we're painting, but if you compare the murals the most recent ones to the ones in Lake City where they actually taken money and invested in, in, in mural artists that are renowned throughout the, the country, that will attract people here. I'm afraid people aren't going to drive from Columbia, South Carolina to Somerville to see what's painted on, on coastal coffee roasters right now. I mean, and so what we're going to do what I'm afraid we're going to do is we're just going to paint murals everywhere without being strategic about it. Um, I'm not happy with the mural back here behind the, um, I, I suggest y'all go walk back there and it's called legal graffiti. That's not what we want, folks. We want, want to be strategic about these murals and we want them to be more than just an advertisement for, for a brand. You know, we, we want them to be something that will uh, attract people. Uh, I, I would uh, invite y'all to look online at, at Lake City, the murals there, the honeybee mural that are painted in, 
in Lake City and just see if that's something that y'all would like to see. Yeah, so I would like to take that money instead of funneling it through a nonprofit, actually commission artists and put the money in the hands of the artists. And I'm going to say this about hospitality accommodation taxes. Um, I was calling for those murals back in February, and now they're painting murals. Might be a coincidence. Um, I called for more spending on the hospitality and accommodation tax. Now, there's an event happening in October that I'm dubious about. Now, I think $13,500 is going to a first-time event, and I was asked to be involved with it on the tail end, and I almost bit, but when I found out how the money had come about, and the, that they're going to be serving, not that I'm against alcohol, I'm in a brew house, but they're going to start serving alcohol for this event on the, at Givan State Park. The first time that's ever been done in the state of South Carolina, where they're going to have beer vendors selling on the state park. There's plenty of private places you can sell beer on. I don't think we should be setting the precedent of, of commercializing our state parks. And what's even worse about this is if you follow the money, the people putting on the vents are going to give crumbs to the musicians, and they're going, they've created a vent so that their businesses can prosper. Follow the money. Okay, on that one, that's an unwise, you know how many events I could, Bummerville Amphitheater could put on with $13,500? I could, that would finance the whole year, and you would have quality music on the square every third Thursday. And it would attract people. The, um, outside events are fraught with risk. They might pull it off, they might not, but Bummerville Amphitheater is not gonna be involved in that. They brought me in on the tail end of it. To be honest with you, I was kind of, uh, at first my feelings were hurt because I've been working hard on the music scene. And the first time any hospitality and commentation taxes were put out there, they left me out of that conversation until the end, probably because they know I'm going to advocate that the musicians got paid, not the vendors, not the beer people, you know. So that's kind of where I am with hospitality and congregation taxes. What time is it? Right. Or it should be equal, right? I mean, it should be spread out among all the people there. But yeah, we're at uh, 49 minutes. Did that answer your question at all? Yeah. Yeah. So we got about 10 minutes left for questions. Is the idea of the hotel and the town dead forever and ever? I think so. I think the problem with the hotel was, and I think we escaped, a, I think that place was too big now that I look at it for that particular spot. I would uh, say that, yes, that location is dead. And that they, um, thank you all for coming. They would um, probably have done better if they brought the public in on the front end of that deal. Um, that, that was decided. I'm afraid the same thing is going on right now. I went to a, um, a vision workshop yesterday at uh, the Rollins Center, and it reminded me when I used to teach school and we had these compacts with the children. It was a dog and pony show. We'd go in there and we'd 
meet with the parents and we'd say we could do X, we could provide X, Y, and Z simply because there was a statute that we had to have these, these meetings with the parents. Nothing really got done. That's probably why I'm not with the school teacher for very long. But this, this vision plan that we work, in, that work on, I went in there yesterday. They already decided what they wanted to do, what they want to do. I think they're following some plan that the Chamber of Commerce with the, the UDO, they're trying to justify the, their unified development ordinances through this vision plan. And um, they told us to dream as big as we wanted to, and, and they wrote down, we were able to participate, but uh, I could tell a person from the chamber sat down with me and uh, accidentally tipped their hand what their plans are on the other side of the track. And he mentioned Brownsville, and I said, uh-oh, what are y'all going to do to help the people in Brownsville? He goes, oh, forget I said Brownsville. Let's talk about over there on, on, on the other side of, of Main Street. So what they're going to do is, uh, I think put multi-use buildings up on that side of the, of the, uh, the track, on that side of Main Street, and their plan is probably, I don't know that we can stop gentrification or even if that's a good idea, but what we need to do is help the people and the citizens of Brownville with title searches now so they know what they have so the developers don't grab up their, their land at, on pennies on the dollar. And that that's... So you can see I have an uphill battle ahead of me, and I'm not going to uh, make any friends on this journey, I'm sure. And uh, But I'm not going to ask y'all for money. I just ask y'all when the time comes, I'm going to need uh, help in every district. Uh, they can imitate my ideas, but they can't steal my hustle from me, you know. And uh, that's the truth. You will see me work hard for your vote. I want to thank every each and every one of y'all for being here, and I thank y'all. All right. Well, I think you said it all. We got time for one more question. You want to do one more? One more question. One more. Does anybody have another question? And then we'll wrap this thing up. I'll just make a comment. Go ahead, Eddie. I'm not originally from Somerville. I moved down to Low Country in the '70s, and I moved to Somerville in '95. And I love this town. Um, what I hate to see is Somerville turn into a mountain That's where we're headed. Uh, I know growth has to happen, but it needs to be intelligent. And also, my concern I live in Gadsden. That Gadsden property that's still vacant, I, I'm not sure, you know, it's still associated with the manor house. I think there was a movement to turn that into a park. I really hope that goes through. And I am concerned about Brownsville. That's close enough to Brownsville that maybe you know, some 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 sort of facilities could be installed there if not in Brownsville. That's a lot of acreage. I think it's like 65 acres. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see a massive development over there because then you've got environmental issues and traffic. But um, you know, some will change it, but it needs to be smart. I don't see a lot of that. Yeah, and, and people are, are um, talking about development and growth, but some of the issues that that I'm concerned about that probably aren't on anybody's radar is racial reconciliation. And 
I would, I wanted to, and also, even within the, I used to go to St. Paul's Church, and I don't go there anymore. Um, there was a schism in the church, and, and part of the church went over here to the Good Shepherd, and the other half stayed at St. Paul's. And one side is, re they're refusing to reconcile. Okay, and here's what's going on. My friends at the Good Shepherd can't afford the upkeep of the church. Neither can the people at St. Paul's. If you go there right now and look at St. Paul's, at the dental work up on the steeple, half of it's gone. That fell down during Hurricane Matthew when I was the sexton, and it's still sitting there. So as they continue to spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawsuits they can't afford, one of our best historic spots in town is falling apart. So when we don't reconcile things, things continue to fester. Now with rec racial reconciliation, Mr. Lewis Smith, who is a passionate man that can get himself in trouble, I know that, but he had somebody flag his business. And what I mean by flag, they put a Confederate flag on his, on his door. I stopped by to see him the other day. He said, you know, you're the first person with any, within the town that's come by to see me about this. And I said, well, I'm sorry I hadn't been there any sooner. Now, so it was, right, so it's, um, you would think that the flag issue is over. And let me just say this about the flag. I was brought up at St. Paul's where there are scores of Confederate soldiers buried there. My great-grandfather was captured in the Civil War and walked home from a POW camp from New York barefooted. So I was taught as a young person to have pride in the battle flag of the South and have pride in, in the Confederacy. And, and so I had pride in those things. Because you're six, seven, I mean, you, you were taught these things. And so when you're asking people who've lived in Somerville their whole lives, who grew up with that, that they can't fly. I'm not saying you can't fly the flag. I'm saying don't put it on people's businesses. Fly it on your truck if you want to. Do whatever you want to. But don't put it in people's faces because I understand now that flag to a lot of people is terrifying. My mother told me that it used to scare her. The Ku Klux Klan used to march through Somerville back in the 30s. The symbols are not frozen in time. Right. And that, and if you think, if you go back to that, um, to the to the vote no thing, that X on that box was everything but the Confederate battle flag without the stars. Uh, that's what it was. And so some, some slick digital guy with, with a, with a, that the elect senators all over the country got involved in our local election and stirred up the good old boys. And so the deal is this. We got three choices for mayor, people. We got the insider insider. That's Ricky Warren. Born here, been involved with the inside, the good old boys. Then you got the outside inside candidate who came from outside of Somerville was in with the insiders, that would be Mr. Hearn, 
And then you got me, the inside outsider. I was born here, but I've never been part of the community. So vote for the inside outsider. Good place to end it, maybe. Sarah? Can I say something? Sure. So I know y'all know me as Flipping Horse Honor, but I want to say I'd be here even if he wasn't my dad because his character is like unmatched by anybody I know. Like, at eight, I never thought my dad would be a dad. And at 17, I never thought anybody would come to listen to my dad playing music. And at 20, I never thought my dad would be saying I'm running for mayor in the year 2019, and I'm 21, and he's taught me that any, nothing's impossible, and that all my goals are reaching Hello. supporting me every single step of the way, even when he couldn't even support himself. And so, like, whether or not I was Sarah Moore or I mean, somebody else, you know, I'm in the middle of my first town hall. I wouldn't say shade for mayor, so just keep that. No, 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 Jack. This is my brother calling from Folly Beach. He's going to run for mayor of Folly Beach now. No. Right. <laughs> well, that'd be a different mayor. That's mayor's thanks. I'll, I'll get with you about All right, well, while Fleming's on the phone, I want to thank everybody for coming out. Appreciate you supporting Home from Brew House, Studio 117. Uh, by the way, Fleming's going to be playing out front uh, for the rest of the evening, or 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, I'll be playing out front. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Caroline. Yes. Thank you, CJ.